0: This is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party.
1: This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is.
0: What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Friday, my friends, finally making it to the end of the week, the greatest day of the entire week. I know we're optimistic all week long, but this is the real deal here, man. You can't get any more exciting about this than, well, unless you have to work this weekend that I feel bad for you. Don't worry, I'm in the same boat. We have two radio programs that we do tomorrow on a weekend as well. So, by golly, we'll just keep on trucking. Welcome into it. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country on multiple radio stations, multiple TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to us. It's always a pleasure to have you for the ride. Your millennial general reporting for duty, like we do every single day. Hunter Biden officially indicted on what was it, nineteen charges that I see. Now don't don't get too excited. I, I know, no, no, no. Don't get too excited. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> I don't know that anything is going to come of it. At, at least as of right now, is it going to go anywhere? Who knows? The media is going to throw it as a political scam to go after the Bidens, but. Very interesting indeed. Donald Trump's got a few indictments on him. Hasn't done anything. It's only raised his approval rating, so we'll see where this goes moving forward. But Hunter Biden, seeing some more indictments slapped on him coming out of the state of California on tax issues. We'll have some more information on that here in just a little bit. Coming up, bottom of the hour, we have Ilan Braca. He is the CEO of IB Global and a real estate Mongol, real estate investor. As we talk about renting versus buying, The young generation now, as you know, my generation, the millennials, we are a little bit delayed in actually purchasing our own homes, going out and venturing forth, creating our own life instead, just hanging out with mom and dad and paying off student loan debts, right? It's what we do. So uh, with the young generation moving up and beginning to expand, are they buying homes or are they renting real estate? What are they doing and what does that mean for the future of real estate? So we'll have some fun conversations about that coming up in just a little bit. But first...
1: What's trending today. As we
0: look at our what's trending stories of the day, kind of an interesting concept that we haven't talked about on this program, and we have to figure out what's going on. As you know, we're still coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, and 2020 hindsight makes us look at the policies that we enacted during the pandemic to see whether they were actually worth it, whether they helped, or whether they hurt. And from our conclusion, from the majority of different angles that you want to approach it from the economy to social programs to snap programs to mask wearing to vaccine mandates and everything else under the sun that we realized that we probably didn't make the best decisions during covid and let's hope that we learn from these mistakes so we don't have to repeat them all over again but what do you remember during the covid pandemic the idea of prisoners that were isolated in their cells and those that were incarcerated now Uh, It was kind of like an episode of The Walking Dead where you actually wanted to be in a cell because you were confined and you weren't around a whole lot of other people, unless you went to the social areas. And then it was just a cesspool where we just spread the COVID pandemic all over the place and everybody was going to die because, well, by golly, if COVID gets you, then it's going to get you, right? So there was an idea under the CARES Act of bringing people home to be incarcerated at home during home confinement. And now there's a push to make that a long-term thing or to continue it on, or is it still going on? To we'll talk about some of that and more, really happy to have on the program and get down to the details of what's really going on. She is the president and executive director for the Justice Action Network. Happy to have on the show with us, Jenna Butler. Jenna, how are you, my friend? I'm doing excellent.
2: It is such a pleasure to be with you this
0: afternoon, Andy. Oh, it's so good to chat with you. What a fascinating concept. Now, before we talk about what's happening now, Talk about where this idea came from. Is it, did it start during the pandemic of, oh, we're fearful of what could happen if someone's incarcerated and doesn't have the ability to get away from the from the scary virus? Is this where this whole idea came from?
2: Yeah, that, that's true. So if you remember way back then in 2020, I mean, a lot of us felt like we were our own personal prisons. Um, but prisons themselves pose a really interesting problem. Because it's not only just the person-to-person contact within the prison, but unlike a lot of the other institutions that we were worried about back then, we also have prison guards that go in and out of those prisons all day, right? And they go back home to their families, to their communities. And so it actually became this sort of hub for a spreading of the disease beyond the prisons themselves. And so it became a huge public health concern about what's happening when those prisoners go home. Are they communicating more of this disease than they would otherwise? What can we do about it? And President Trump and his attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, came up with a really ingenious solution.
0: Yeah. Well, t- talk about this. This, uh, this was let's, instead of actually having this confinement of everybody coming in and out, spreading this all over, let's just imprison people at home.
2: Yeah, basically. So what they first did is said, first of all, we're only going to do this for people that we know it is safe to do so for public safety issues. Sure. So it's only for people that have no history of violence or serious offenses. Furthermore, it's people that have been assessed and have found to be a low risk for future crimes. And then third of all, it also has to be people that have shown a history of compliance with rules in prison. It's a pretty good indicator if they're compliant with those rules, they're going to apply it with rules on the outside, too. Yeah. And home confinement itself is, is no joke. Um, you have to be at home unless you're at work or some other um, pre-approved activity. You're usually wearing an electronic monitoring bracelet. You have to submit to regular drug and alcohol testing. You've got calls coming in most of the days from your probation or parole officer. They know where you are at all times. And it's it's a little bit more strident than even some prison facilities.
0: Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Now, the question is, during the pandemic, obviously it was, you know, we were transitioning and doing things on the fly then, but over the years that we've been able to kind of fine tune the system, has it been working?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So using those parameters that Trump and Bill Barr set up over the last uh, four, three to four years, the prison facilities actually identified 13,000 people that were eligible for this sort of home confinement and moved them back home. And believe it or not, out of those 13,000 people, 22 committed additional crimes while on home confinement. 22. Wow. That is a shockingly low number, especially if you compare it to the rescission rate that we see coming out of prison otherwise, which is about 40%. I mean, this is one of arguably the most successful programs our nation's prison system has ever put on, and that's really saying something.
0: Yeah, that's pretty impressive. I mean, when you only have 22 out of 13,000 to actually return back and, and do some more crime. So I guess the question is, psychologically, is why? Why did this work so well? Was it because they're, they're home, they're more comfortable? Is it because they're not having bad influences of other individuals? Are they still able to at least, I mean, connect, I guess, with the outside world since they're home, giving the opportunity that when they're done with their home confinement that they can back in get back into the workforce or get back into society? I mean, wh- why so successful?
2: Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. First of all, those parameters that Trump and Barr put into place were absolutely the right ones. This needs to be narrowly tailored and needs to be focused on only low-risk individuals, which they did. But two, exactly as you said, when they went back home, they reconnected with their families and their communities. They got jobs. They started providing for themselves and having that sense of personal empowerment and freedom again. And that just encourages them to stay on the right track, to continue to improve and to succeed. And that's why we're seeing such low rates of reoffending. And that is something that we need to be encouraging and promoting. And yet today we have people in our United States Senate that want to rip those people out of their homes and communities and send them back to prison on the taxpayer dollars.
0: Yeah, I was looking at before we came on here, I was looking at a statement that was released on the 29th of November from the White House and the Biden administration saying that they oppose uh, this policy and that they want to start retracting some of this, which, I mean, go figure. I, it's kind of weird where they'd want to repeal that. Go figure. They want to throw people back in jail on that front. But uh, what would be the argument for them to say, let's end this policy and get everybody back into jail?
2: Well, I think it's one thing to say, let's end the policy proactively, right? Like, we're not under a pandemic anymore. We don't need to be sending people home because of a, of a pandemic, right? Yeah. But if we have found a way to safely monitor people at home, Um, so that we're spending less taxpayer dollars and reducing the risk of crime, we need to keep doing that. That is exactly what our criminal justice system is supposed to do, is to reduce crime, to improve public safety. And if this program is doing it, then we need to see if there's other ways that we can be taking advantage of that, but not for the reason of the pandemic. But the bigger issue for me is there is a resolution currently pending in the Senate That would not only end this program, but it would take 3,000 people who are still on home confinement that have been doing exceedingly well and would put them back in a federal prison at a cost of $120 per day per person for absolutely no reason whatsoever. It's not like these individuals have been doing things that we're concerned about. That would be a reason to bring them back. It's not like there's this, this... you know, rampant crime wave of people on home confinement going out and doing things, they are succeeding. And instead of encouraging that and allowing them to continue to uplift themselves and their families, we're saying, no, just because we feel like it, you're going to go back to prison and we're going to make sure that all of the you've made have been erased, which actually makes it more likely that they're going to commit more crimes in the future, which is Astronaut.
0: excuse my French. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we see a lot of retention rates of individuals coming out of jail and going back to their life of crime and then returning back and forth because they don't have those opportunities. And I, I got to admit, I, I, I was skeptical with an idea like this when we first heard of it, even back then during the Trump administration. But with these numbers showing how successful it is. It's got to be looked at more seriously, and we got to consider something like this because of how much money, number one, I mean, we're we try to be at least fiscally responsible on this show. Right. It's laughable at the federal government when we talk about fiscal responsibility, but when we see how much money it goes into incarcerating somebody, if they qualify for something like this, they're not mass murderers that are going back on the streets right now, and we don't see the retention rate of going back into jail, this has got to be considered to be a long-term kind of change in the uh, criminal justice system.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, we all agree that prisons are an essential part of our criminal justice and public safety system, right? And there are people that need to be in prison and there are people that need to be in prison for a very long time. But if we have people that have shown a likelihood that they're going to comply by rules, that have shown that they're low risk, that have served a portion of their time, and that everyone agrees we can safely do something else with them, which, like I said, in some cases is, a, is even harder than prison because they're not getting regular drug and alcohol tests in prison, let me tell you that. Yeah. Um, if it's, if it's, if it's going to guarantee public safety and cut costs, that is exactly the kind of program that we should be promoting. And if it's not because of COVID, then it's because we want to see better public safety in our country. And I, as a taxpayer, want to see fewer of my dollars thrown at programs that don't do anything for
0: yeah. it came into that. We're talking with Jenna Butler. She's the executive director of the Justice Action Network. You can find them online at justiceactionnetwork.org. I live in the state of Kansas here, and our former governor from about eight years ago, Governor Sam Brownback, uh, who worked under the Trump administration for a while as well, uh, he came up with a criminal justice reform system here of uh, you know having businesses put... Assembly lines, manufacturing plants in the jails for them to be able to make money, starting programs to where they can get their plumbers uh, certification, their electric, their electrical certification in the prison to where when they come out, they could go out and actually have a job and actually get back on their feet easier. And we saw the return rate to jail drop dramatically here in the state of Kansas. Do you know other states that are trying to work on programs like this as well?
2: Absolutely. And actually, we have tried to replicate that exact program that you mentioned in, in several other states because it's been so successful. Look, so many of the of the lower level, non-serious people in our criminal justice system are in there because of ac- economic reasons. And so we know that if we get them a job, if we uplift them out of that poverty that they're dealing with, they're not going to commit more crimes. Yeah. And so not only have we created a productive and law-abiding citizen, but we have created a safer Kansas and country for all of us. And so there are programs from Louisiana to Pennsylvania that have tried to replicate that. There's actually a a program in a Louisiana prison that I love where the warden, on a once a year basis, goes to businesses in the surrounding area and says, What skills do you need? Do you need welders? Do you need people that can work with concrete? What do you need? I will train my men to know how to do that. And that means when they come out, it's fantastic. And when they come out, they've got this pool of employers that are eager to hire them because they know
0: they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, Jenna, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Absolutely. That's fantastic. I love this conversation. I want to keep it going. It's Jenna Butler, Justice Action Network. We'll do some more of this when we come back here for a Friday episode here on The Voice of Reason. Stay here.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes,
0: indeed it is. Your political therapist, your patriot on the prairie. Welcome back into the program. 24 minutes past the hour, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. However you hang out with us. We love you death. Thanks for joining us as always. Fascinating conversation. I love talking about criminal justice reform. How can we actually get things on track? Because usually we only hear about one of two sides. We hear about one side that's just like lock everybody up and throw away the key because to hell they can't function in society. Or it's the other side of like California. Of, you know what? If you steal a thousand dollars worth of goods, don't worry about it. You're totally justified in doing something like that. So actually figuring out ways to, you know, hey, you did something wrong. You're not supposed to do that. Are you going to do it again? And let's reform it. Let's do what we need to do to make sure that you can function back in society. But then once that's done, if they're in society and they're not turning to crime again, then you know what? Let's set them up on that path for success. This is the American dream and a super fascinating conversation. We're hanging out with Jenna Butler with the Justice Action Network at justiceactionnetwork.org. Go and check them out. Jenna, why don't we hear more about this, uh, like this policy, for example, and the success rates of this? Because it seems like no one wants to talk about it right now.
2: Well, you know, it's not fun to talk about things that are actually succeeding, right? Like the, the old adage is if it bleeds, it leads. And and to some degree rightly so, right? Like we as as you know people of the public and, and consumers of the media have a right to know um when horrific things are happening. We have a right to know what's going on in our communities, but we aren't talking enough, as you said, about the things that are actually working. And it's incredibly interesting, if you actually look, over the last 20 years or so, conservatives have taken up the issue of criminal justice policy in states across the country because they were sick, as you said, of of the two extremes. And they said, we as conservatives can do this in a really interesting and novel way. We can prioritize accountability and making sure that people pay for the crimes that they've committed while also believing at the very same time that there are people that don't need to be in prison for the rest of their lives, there are people that could be contributing members of society. And we need to identify those people and give them the tools to do just that while keeping the rest of them in prison for the appropriate amount of time. Yeah. And there's state after state have been implementing these policies with really no fanfare because the media doesn't like to say when Texas is doing something right.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and of course it doesn't help that Donald Trump created the policy because he's the most evil person on the face of the earth. So, you know, That's I- right. Donald Trump did that. Yeah, so there is that aspect of it as well. So uh, last question for you. We got just about a minute and a half here left or so. But if we go down this road, do you see a potential future change in how incarceration is done? Because right now we hear about needing more taxpayer money to build bigger facilities for state facilities right now uh, across every every state. Is this an opportunity for us to actually slow that pace down and actually do things a little bit different? There is that danger.
2: There is that danger. And I do hope that... that Policymakers that are inclined to do that will take a moment and look to some of those red states like Kansas, like Texas that I've mentioned, and see what they've done. Texas was on the path to building over 14,000 new prison beds back in 2005. Mm. They decided to take a beat. They decided to look at the research and evidence and say, what can we do to actually reduce crime so we don't ever have to build those prison beds? Fast forward 20 years. They've closed five prisons and counting. They've cut crime. They've cut costs. There are ways to protect public safety and reduce costs to the taxpayer all at the same time. And we don't need new prison beds. We've got enough. What we need are new workers in our economy.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. I I still love the idea. Like you said, I'm so glad other states are working on the same policy like we did here in Kansas. I got to tour through a couple of them and uh, to see the workers and to see what they're doing, go through the classes, seeing them actually work on stuff for plumbing and the, the electrical work or going and doing the sewing and actually doing work to actually make a few cents a day, contribute to the company, be able to get some money for when they come out for all the legal fees and everything and get them a good start back on their life. These are the kind of programs we need. And I'm so glad people are actually looking at this is an opportunity to uh, better the system. It is uh, Jenna Botler, the Justice Action Network at justiceactionnetwork.org. What a fascinating conversation, Jenna. I appreciate the time very much. we got to get you back on and do some more of this again soon.
2: Thank you for having
0: me. Anytime. Hey, absolutely. Good stuff there. We'll break some of that down when we come back. Also, Elin Braca, right around the corner as well, we'll talk about real estate in a moment as well. So much to do, so little time here on a Friday. We'll get to all your thoughts and more, get you set up for a good weekend. It's The Voice Reason. Stay right here.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this
0: is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, it is. Welcome into it. Thanks for hanging out. By the way, I do need to make a correction. I was reading the press... Wrong, I believe. And i got to pull it back up again. I can't find it now. Of course. But that White House press statement regarding the home confinement, I believe that the White House actually came out and opposed the removing of that. Talking about the success rate of, again, only having 1% return back into prison after being confined at home. So, interestingly enough, the Biden administration actually agreed. And, again, I have to find it to double-check because... if i if i'm correct they actually agreed with a donald trump policy that's oh boy that's uh that's that's taboo you're not allowed to agree with anything donald trump ever says so uh, i'll get back to that press uh, press release see if i can't find it again and double confirm on that because that (laughs) that's super interesting if that's the case then they they're going to try and keep that one hush hush no we don't we don't support his stuff i'm honestly surprised that policy didn't get repealed on day one when biden came in and did all the executive orders just like reversing everything that donald trump did during the administration so super fascinating stuff there are a lot of questions i'm getting questions from a lot of people online about well what about this what about that what you know who pays for this who pays for that so uh i agree and i think it needs to have some more detail i would like to know some more about it so we'll have them back on the show and do that again here soon but let's shift gears a little bit What's trending today? I am looking forward to this chat because, as you know, being part of the millennial generation, the younger generation. Now, I already have a home, and Mrs. Voice of Reason and I are very happy in our home, raising our nine-year-old little voice of reason. But a lot in my generation are not at that point. And, in fact, a lot of them try to go out, and they're not even looking to try and expand outside of their parent's home until about the age of 30 to 35 according to the poll that the average millennial doesn't see themselves as an adult until the age of 30 (laughs) which is hilarious but with the young generation it seems like everything's evolving changing in some way shape or form but there's been a massive adjustment in the idea of either buying a home or renting a home or a condo or, or an apartment or something and doing the buying versus renting idea so what's the flavor? What's the popularity? And what are people doing nowadays in society where I know that the housing market, at least prior to COVID, it was a massive boom in the real estate market. No one could buy a home. It was extremely difficult Then COVID hit, slowed down a little bit. Right now, mortgage rates are absolutely ridiculous. Is that slowing thing down as well? And what's the state of the real estate market? Happy to have on the program. He's a real estate Mongol, CEO of IB Global. Hey, happy to have on the program here, Ilan Branca. Ilan, how are you, my friend?
3: Very good. Thank you
0: for having me. How are you doing? I'm great. I appreciate you coming on the show very much. So first off, let's talk about the real estate market for just a second. And I know that interest mortgage rates are up, although it hasn't slowed down applying for mortgages a whole terribly lot. I was in banking like, I don't know, 15 years ago. And I remember us at the bank, we were try- We were selling and advertising 1.5% home equity lines of credit uh, oh for the interest, God. yeah, <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore, does it?
3: Yeah, no, no. This is the numbers are crazy now. Make what the, you know, they're reaching like double digit. Some <laughs> of them, you know, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Um, wow. We're getting, you know, the, the whole market is, is, you know, the last year was, uh, you know, I'm always looking at uh, cycles in real estate, and when you look at the cycle of 2008, you look at September 11, and the result, you know, here in New York, we get many, many cycles, but the, the big ones was those big waves. And now this year, it's like um, it's like many, many events. Every month, there was the raising the rate. So think about instead of a big, giant wave over a cycle, you have like 12 mini waves that's creating this kind of uh, something that's ever been done before, you know, the last 30, 40 years. You never saw a jump of a rate like that. So So we create like a stop over of, of, of many times in the year, and the volume went down by 40%. Wow. So, yeah, that was a very, very uh, aggressive. Uh, and, and I can understand, but it's also created an opportunity for many, many people when they look at it and, you know, learning. We, we kept learning the market, and we figured out there is kind of opportunities uh, of the investment side of it. Wow! So for us and many other buyers,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now with the expansion, I know that we've had a shortage. I know that during COVID especially we had a shortage of supplies to actually build homes and expand in certain communities all over the country, and that uh, there just weren't, wasn't any production. So the number of homes went kind of stagnant for a while. Did that drive kind of the changes in people deciding to either buy a home or just rent an apartment or a condo?
3: Right. So the biggest, the biggest, um, challenge in real estate so was always a game of supply and demand, right? Yeah. But now it's, uh, there is the aspect of the interest rate. that's so high that people that's already bought in before, like, let's say you bought an apartment or a condo two, three years ago, even last year, somewhere last year, you are like in 2.75 rate. And now you in eight. It's Ouch. totally different world. And because of it, you know, it's saying, wait, wait a second, why should I sell it? and then I will buy something, you know, it would this kind of a rate. Now it's created an opportunity like I said, so many young uh, uh generation they're saying well maybe I could take advantage and buy an opportunity in because you know you can buy investment opportunity that people are suffering and need to sell so you can buy something and create an income. So if you sell if you sell yours, for an example, and get a cash and buy investment, you can rent for yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're still in the real estate game, but now it's, you create a different uh, way of uh, income. You have an income from investment property, which benefits some tax uh, vehicles in many ways, yeah. but you're also creating an income that uh, wasn't before. Now you can rent. There is flexibility. They're young. They want to uh, try different areas, different places. So... Uh, it's just an open uh, trend. I think it's uh, going to get bigger and bigger for people that saying, wait a second, maybe I should just put my money to work. I will keep myself in real estate, but it's not necessary. Look for my next home to live in. I will, I will rent in the area that I like, and I will buy as an investment everywhere I want. I just need to look for the good deal yeah makes sense
0: yeah that makes sense it's a it's an interesting concept for sure and uh, it does it brings in kind of that residual income now for first time homebuyers the young generation that's coming in those first timers uh are those the good deals that they're looking for or are they trying to buy out full on right now
3: no they they're very much looking for like getting into the market. And they're open for for investment and renting out. But, you know, because right now, it's very scary. Think about it. As a first time buyers we have been there, it's so scary to go in and take a, this kind of a mortgage with this kind of a rate. Yeah. Now, if you're buying an investment, you you see you, you're cashing out in the end of the day. Even if it's a six and a half, seven percent 7% rate, the cap rate, meaning the investment side, it's still higher than the, the mortgage. So you're cashing out every month's money. So it's not scary anymore. Mm. And, and, and if, if everything's going to work like they're talking about, it's maybe in a year or two, it's going to be a, a, a rate change. And all of a sudden, instead of six and a half, seven, you're going to have a five in a commercial investment. All of a sudden, you can refinance, get your money, and then go buy your dream home. Sure, and still on uh, income-producing uh, property, so it's. I think it's more like being educated about the process and have someone to walk you into it, and I think this is, uh, you know, it's it's a great opportunity today if you're just open for it. It's, yeah. uh and we see people uh, in the young generation; they read about it, they're more open for a change. So that's why you see that in the generation uh, uh, Z, generation Y. Uh, you feel like they're more open for it because they're just reading a lot about it.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely a lot smarter. I think in trying to plan this out and actually structure themselves to go into it in a uh, in an appropriate way. Elon, uh, I got to ask the mortgage rates because they're sitting at near seven, eight percent, whatever they are right now. Has that slowed down the mortgage application? Because to me, if I were to buy a home at this time, I would I, again being used to those earlier rates of three and four percent and seeing this now. I would cringe at having to pay eight percent on a you know two hundred thousand dollar home. That's insane to me.
3: It's too much, and I agree with you. And it, what people's doing right now, they're taking home equity just to to survive the, those this year. Mm. But the one that needs to take uh, a mortgage right now, it just it's uh, they they let's say they're pushing as much as they can to a level they have to and And if you have to, you will take it, so the, the we're always saying, "Don't get married with the rate, marry with the house, yeah so if you really love the house, take it, you know rate will change, and eventually you know you can refinance and uh, do it but but it's still very scary, and I agree with you it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a big number.
0: Yeah, it's a very big number. We got just about a minute left here before we have to wrap up. But uh, because of that, I know there's always the fear of a real estate bust again, like we saw in the early 2000s. Do you see something like that happening again because of such high inflation? And do you see those rates coming down anytime soon?
3: I think what we what we suffered in 2008 was a, was a situation that people had no equity inside the house. Today, the last decade, people build a very strong equity. So I, I feel like the real estate market is strong. I think there is still a, a huge demand and no supplies enough. Uh, people have a turnkey and new development. There is no much of new development. Um, uh, they don't build enough to uh, create, you know, the demand. The reason you don't see a, demand, a strong demand now, because it's, again, people learning about the market, trying to understand it. It's like uh, 12 times of, like, uh, think about, like, a 12 shock. so... I think it will be. Uh, it will come back. I believe 2024 will be a stronger year. Okay. And we will see people coming back to the market and uh, and really believe that there is a they, they, they can buy and they will refine the, uh, you know later. So I think you will see it back.
0: That's yeah. good news. That's good news to see the real estate market kind of rebound and kind of grow a little bit in 2024. It's going to be an interesting year for sure. on Braca, CEO of IB Global. I appreciate the time very much, my friend. We'd love to chat again soon.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. All the best.
0: Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, enjoy the weekend. Merry Christmas to you. Great stuff. Interesting concept. We'll break some of that down when we come back here right around the corner. One more segment left here for The Voice of Reason on a Friday, getting you set for the weekend.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, Huser. indeed it is. Welcome
0: back into it. Last couple of minutes here on the program for a Friday. So I've come to the conclusion that between both guests that we've had today, Jenna Butler from the Justice Action Network talking about the home confinement idea, and Ilan Braca with IB Global, the real estate mongo, I've come to the conclusion that both topics that we've had today, I now have more questions than I do answers on understanding these topics. I have not been one to understand a whole lot of real estate other than I'm going to buy a house because I enjoy it. Yes, if I want a rental property, I'll buy a rental property from residual income. I don't have that because I don't have that kind of cash. One of these days, I might do that. But nonetheless, real estate has not been my forte on that front. And the home confinement sounds like a great idea, like we talked about. Only 1% returning back in and committing crimes after they're let go from this. It does save a lot of taxpayer money. The confinement that we don't have to worry about, but the small little details fascinating stuff so now i have so many more questions than when i came into this program which is a good thing because you know what our brain's working and that's the way we go and we want to understand it better to figure out which direction we're going to go and that's what we do here on this program we unveil those layers of the onion deeper than any other talk show on radio so we have to give ourselves props for that right i don't care who you are we we go a bit deeper on stuff than most programs out there which speaking of let's uh just reiterate the fact that Uh, While we see the economy trying to come back, the Biden uh, administration doing what they can to try and hype it up. Maybe they're resurging the Bidenomics mindset. I don't know. But uh, according to the Yahoo Finance report today, the U.S. labor market defies the slowdown. With a forecast in growth in the job market again, more people going back to work, which I have to ask you two questions. Of course, they're going to have to go back to work, number one, because uh, probably the social programs that we've been on since the COVID-19 pandemic aren't covering the inflation rises that we've seen across the nation under Joe Biden. And number two, so we need a second job. Number two, um, how many benefits are actually expiring? So those are good questions to have. How many people are actually needing to get second jobs right now? Because they can't afford to live with the lifestyle that they want under the inflation and the economy that Joe Biden has created under his great hashtag Bidenomics. Makes you wonder, right? So the economy seems to be quote-unquote doing well after non-farm payroll jobs increased almost 200,000 for last month following 150,000 advance. In the month of October, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics reporting earlier today, the return of striking auto workers also helped boost that count by 30,000. Good golly. So we're. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. OK, so this reminds me of during the pandemic, we lay everybody off, tell you you're non essential, that you can't go home, that you have to go work from home. You can't work. You just have to sit there and collect the paycheck. And then when we come back, look at all the new jobs that were created. And we're doing that again now with the 30,000 workers that were on strike that are going back to work and be like, look at all the new jobs that are back in the workforce. The jobs were still there. They were just on hold. Just because they weren't actually active doesn't mean that the jobs weren't there. They still had jobs. They were negotiating for those better benefits, and they just weren't performing in those jobs. I'd, I'd have to question on the accuracy of some of these numbers. This is the ridiculousness that you get into politics. And because of these auto union strikes, we're now seeing an increase And the push for further strikes down the road, as we've talked about quite a bit on this program and for the weekend syndicated show, is the auto unions are now looking to expand into some of the other companies that don't have a UAW that are involved with them. Tesla being one of them as Tesla, which, by the way, pays their uh, workers very nicely and very handsomely because they realize if we take care of you, you'll be happy and productive, just common sense in the workforce. That's not good enough any longer. And the UAW has even admitted to the fact that, you know what, uh, yeah, sometimes you still have to join a union even if your demands and your needs are being met by the employer and the employer's trying to be your own union representative by taking care of you on his own as the owner of the company, but you still need to unionize because you still have to stick it to the man. Oh, yes, they've openly said that. Even if your needs are being met, Even if they're taking care of you, even if you have a happy, safe, wonderful, productive workforce and they're taking care of you through the company already and you're not unionized, you still need to unionize because it's the communist revolution that's happening. We need to all work together to boost it to unreasonable rates of wages and benefits and so on and so forth because the company is evil even if they do a good job taking care of you. That's their push now. And the reason they're doing that is because unions have been on the decline for the past couple decades, and now that they got something that was impossible for them to get with this six-week strike against the couple of auto dealers and automakers this last few weeks or the last couple of months, because they got that... They see their opportunity to seize the day, carpe diem, and create a resurgence of union workers across the nation. And even if you're happy, you're still not getting enough and we can get you more. Even if it destroys the entire industry, we don't care. That's the world that we live in today. And we have to push back by being aware of it. We'll do some more of that on Monday. Also check out our syndicated show over the weekend. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy it. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio. Bye.